Romans, we're back. So we're Romans chapter 15, verses 1 through 13. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another and accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcomed, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again, it is said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come, even, will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, and him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Thank you, Tammy, for reading the passage of Scripture for us. Uh, good morning. Just ask um, maybe that you would remember uh, John Crawford in prayer. Uh, he, uh, I'm filling in for him this morning. He has COVID. And um, so just continue to pray for him um, as we um, just continue to look to God for all the answers for us. Um, I was actually scheduled to preach next week. Um, I think that will be the case as well. So uh, we'll give John a chance to um, recoup. So thank you for the opportunity this morning uh, to look to the Word of God. You know, when we come to this passage, um, there are a couple things that I think that need to be remembered. Um, last week, we stepped aside from Romans, as Tammy mentioned, and... Um, was dealing with the resurrection. Um, and this uh, particular passage, we're coming back into Romans, but we we're jumping into the middle of a section, kind of the conclusion of the section of what Paul has been dealing with for this time. This is about how Christians disagree in the church. Before we begin, I do want to remember something that I, that, um, that I want like to correct. On your notes, um, Underneath the, um, the first point, there are two uh, smaller points that state the stronger Christians. If you could just scratch through the, the two words, the stronger, um, I don't mean to convey that only stronger Christians are to draw from Christ or only strong, uh, the stronger Christians are to look to the scriptures for their hope. Uh, it was came out of this particular context, whom Paul is addressing at that time. So if you would just scratch through those two words, I think that would help make sure we convey the right idea. 
when we come to this particular passage, it's, it, I think that it's very important that we remember that whom Paul is addressing is a particular people that are in a particular unique period of time. You have both the Jews and the Gentiles. And I think that's real important to recognize and get a hold of and understand so that we don't go beyond what is there and drag into today a complete Gentile church and push stuff into this particular passage without missing the real tension that was there. And so it's important to understand that the Jews, although here Paul has addressed as predominantly the weaker Christian and the Gentiles predominantly the stronger Christian, you have to ask yourself, why, why was that? John has done an amazing job of really expositing the scriptures and bringing that to light as the tension that grew into these uh, two groups of people was real strong and really there and would truly violate a Jewish conscience if a, Jew, if a Gentile was doing something that they believed was wrong. And let me tell you why this is so important to understand is a Jew actually had scripture that they could go back to and look into and point to and say, no, God said that we are not to do this or we're to do this. So Jews actually had scripture that was written for them that they were struggling with to find ultimate fulfillment in Jesus. Well, the Gentiles didn't come to saving faith that way necessarily. They come to hear the gospel and just came to Jesus and recognized that he was the one that would satisfy everything for them. And so therefore, they understood that they had certain freedoms and liberties only found in Jesus. So you could see the real tension and the, and, and the problem, the struggles that were going on, the disagreements that were going on between these two groups. So this is a unique point in history that really elevates the, the, the real problems. Now that's not to say that in a Gentile church, I, I think we're Gentiles here. I don't think I know we are, but I'm saying predominantly, mostly, there may be a, a Jew, a, a Messianic Jew among us, but I think this is a Gentile's church. So the question is, we have to be careful that what we don't push into this passage is take everything that we possibly disagree on and shove it into this particular passage. Does that make sense? What I mean by that is, that's not to say that we won't have disagreements. And that doesn't mean that some of our back histories and back uh, pasts do not play into or weigh into what we do. John has done an amazing job of giving us a list of 25 things that are non-essential. And that is absolutely true. Much of that comes from our background or our history in uh, who we are and what we've done that make up what we believe about God and, and how he thinks about us. So that's very important to make sure that we get a hold of that distinction. All of our songs this morning, our prayer, and everything that we have done has done everything to draw our eyes this morning to Jesus. And that was beautiful and strategic because I believe if found within this passage, that's exactly what needs to happen? So if you can imagine, you've got two uh, people in disagreement. And by the way, this can happen. This happens all the time with, with husbands and wives. 
This happens with uh, siblings and children. Sorry, Luke. Uh, this happens with siblings and um, with all kinds of disagreements, especially then you begin to bring a group of people together in the church, there's bound to be disagreements. So Paul concludes or wraps this up by bringing the final settlement. This is going to be the end of it. This is going to be what Paul is going to bring to the front for these Jew and Gentiles issues in the church and it'll be exactly the same for us something has to finally be able to settle a dispute so think about in your own mind areas and ways that you are in disagreement with somebody even perhaps here in your church in your family among us there are disagreements and disputes that happen all the time it's many times what James in chapter 4 talks about what happens is why are there quarrel, quarreling among us? It's because we want what we want rather than what God wants. That's always the issue in quarreling and in disagreements when it comes to problems. So what's going to settle that? Well, Paul brings that here. So I've kind of divided this in two sections, verses 1 through 6. And this is what Paul is going to bring as the final way that disputes get settled in the church rather than, as John mentioned already, Christians leaving the church, people going to other, getting mad and angry and taking our marbles and going home. This is exactly what Paul bears to wait on what goes on. So you have to think about something also. Verses, uh, let, me, let me say this, verses 1 through 6 are the conclusion of this section that Paul has been dealing with. Um, and then verses 7 through 13 conclude the bigger section is the way that I've divided this. So I've put 7 with verse 8. The divider that I've seen there is between uh, 6 and 7. You can see that on your handout. This is an exhortation to the strong and a prayer for the church. I want to say this on the onset, first of all, also points of clarification. We are not, in this passage, should not be seen or, or understood to be false converts that have snuck into the church. That's not what this passage is dealing with. This is understood to be genuine, born from God, Christians, whether Jew or Gentile. People that sneak into the church need to lovingly be questioned and challenged. Um, and this is not to say that salvations aren't to be visible and evident and seen among people. This is also a passage that is not dealing with a Christian that is in sin. There are sinful areas and sinful ways in God's word that this passage that this is not talking about. These are disagreements on non-issues. So when there is confrontation lovingly that needs to happen for Christians that are in sin, that is a totally different subject. And it is also needs to be point of clarification and understanding that simply because uh, that Paul identifies a weaker and stronger brother and, Christ and sister Christian here does not mean that every single time the stronger needs to 
um, just go along or do with whatever simply because a weaker brother or sister is irritated by what is going on. But what happens is, is when this dispute or this disagreement gets elevated and brought to the top, it gets pushed to the front where we have serious tensions and serious problems in, be in between uh, people that are really going on in the churches and even then beginning to drag other Christians into sin. That's where it's a problem. Well, what settles that dispute? What Paul says here, he gives the answer <clears throat> that you can see on, on your handout there is the stronger in faith Christians are the ones responsible for helping weaker in faith Christians by yielding to certain freedoms in Christ that causes weaker in faith Christians to violate their conscience. Let's look at verses 1 and 2. Paul sets this up. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. I don't know if this has been hard for you as we have come through a particular passage like this. It's really difficult to not go into this particular passage and deal with this as, where am I? Right? Well, I'm the strong one. Matt, I, can't, I don't think that anybody wants to immediately claim and put themselves in the weaker Christian. Most people well, I'm the strong one, I'm, 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 the, I'm the one, I'm the strong one. Immediately, people begin to place themselves into the different categories of strong or weak. What I would say is, is if there is a strong Christian among us, this is the example that Paul gives for uh, strength and what it looks like to genuinely be a stronger Christian. Now, Paul has identified them as Gentiles. And here what you have, Paul said, he places himself there, we who are strong. So Paul now identifies himself as to where he's at. Remember, he is a Jew. But Paul identifies himself as a stronger Christian. Here's what you have. You've got Jews and Gentiles, and Paul doesn't dispute that the Gentiles are correct. He doesn't dispute that their understanding of their complete freedoms in Jesus are right. But what problem comes is when there are issues that are tearing at each other in the church over who is right. Now this is very important to understand. Many times, quarreling and disputes, and despising one another, and putting each other down, many times come over who believes that they are right. What is supposed to happen in that situation? The Apostle Paul says that the stronger Christian defers his strength, his rightness, to the weaker brother. Wow. That is typically not the way the world thinks today. That is typically not the way most people operate, and even among Christians, that is a struggle and a fight 
when we absolutely know that we are right. Some of you uh, who might be in uh, seminary and learning all kinds of things, absolutely you may be right. And, and even in the church uh, that has failed in many areas over the history of time, and so you come out and you suddenly believe that I've got it all right, I've got it all figured out, I learned this in from my professor so-and-so, or this particular professor said that, and man, am I going to come down on you because you do not know what you're talking about. It's exactly what's going on here, who's right, and what is going to settle the issue. Paul says, and, and you can think about this in any way of what you are disputing with one, among one another. Maybe it's perhaps over the, over the children's ministry. Maybe it's in a D.C. Maybe it's some way in some of the ministries and the ways that our church operates and you just don't like it because, by golly, you're right. You know what? Paul answers the question when he brings this up and he poses this to the stronger Christians. If you are here and you want, are eager uh, and desire to put yourself in among the stronger Christians, Paul says that we are not to please ourselves. Wow. That cuts against the grain. Wow, that would really take a dying to self to be able to do that. Well, what have we been singing about this morning that really would bear down on a particular thought like that? Paul says... <clears throat> that we are to live in harmony with one another. And your first point there, Christians are to draw from the example of how Jesus selflessly lived to not please himself. Jesus forsook his own life to lay down for the sake of others. Look at verse 3. Here's how Paul answers what is going to settle this dispute. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. This is a quote out of Psalm 69. And in this quote, the psalmist, here Paul brings to the front and places on Jesus as an application, a typology for Christ. And what the psalmist is crying out, and this is beautiful when you understand that this picture in the context in Psalm 69 is painting. The psalmist is saying, Lord, in whatever I do, in however I act, in all things that I do, May no one take their eyes off of glorifying you because of me. Wow. Incredible passage that Paul is referring back to, teaching that the reproaches of those who reproached you, meaning the insults, the sin, the way people have acted God against you have fallen on me. What an incredible heartbeat of Paul is saying that this is the posture 
of the strong. If we are the strong and, and you are in a dispute with one another, this is what must raise to the top is the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Christ that was willing to lay down his life, stand before the Father, and receive the wrath of God for the sins of people against his Father. Paul says that this is the way that the strong Christians are to live. So, so this is true as we come together and we are here and you think about disputes that are among you. So anything can come out of uh, left field and place itself into the heart and lives of, of God's people. And what needs, what needs to rise to the top is that it is Jesus Christ and his way that he glorified the Father. He did not please himself. This is an example, a, prime, a supreme example of him laying down his own pleasures um, in order to advance the people of God. That's the heartbeat and the posture of those who are in Christ Jesus claiming to be strong. This is a Gentile church, but nonetheless, the governing principles still apply. And if you are here and find yourself in dispute, I would ask you, where's the gospel in light of this? Someone has to be the bigger person. At some point, somebody has to say, you know what, for the sake of God, this, this is an amazing when God said in uh, Matthew chapter 12, he said, I desire mercy over sacrifice. So sometimes people believe, and listen, sometimes you may be right. That's true. But that's not the point of what Paul's saying. That would miss the point of Paul saying, you can be right in what you know about God, but you can be wrong in what you do when you begin to drag others down and hurt others and their opportunity to see God in all of his glory. This is what needs to happen. Cross fellowship for us when we are in disputes is the glory of God needs to rise to the top. This is really an interesting uh, particular passage that places uh, Christ right at the center of what's going on in the middle of disputes. This is the first time that he has literally brought and set Jesus right down before people. So I would ask you, if when you have, when you get angry, when you know something is absolutely right and you want it your way, you have to really question and wonder, am I really doing what is right by, by forcing or dominating my opinion over somebody else? Or am I really bringing the heart of Jesus in to bear weight on this particular passage? So the example for us is Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. <clears throat> Look at um, the next passage, verse 4. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might 
have hope. This is an amazing passage also. As you can imagine, the Apostle Paul is actually writing scripture when he wrote this letter. So what was available to them was Old Testament uh, scripture that was available to them at that time. Paul is writing scripture and he says what I'm referring to is any time back to Jesus. So now Paul is bringing the word of God to bear on his life and come down in the middle of this dispute is where Paul is always getting himself fed from is the word of God so that when these disputes happen, what happens is that Jesus is the one that comes forward. And Paul is seeing him all over in scripture as a typology of Christ and he is bringing the heartbeat of Christ to bear in on his people. If you are not in the word, it is no wonder that you are, are depressed in horrible disputes and cannot see your way out because there is no substance or no sustaining power to bear down on your life and come in to bring about a change. It is imperative that God's people continue to spend time in the Word. Now, you've got to ask you something. What is it? that perhaps is so pulling you away from the very thing that God esteems such in high reverence and honor to him? Are there things in your life that need to be pulled away? Listen, to get time in the word is a fight. It is a fight for all Christians. Strong or weak, all Christians are to find their encouragement. And the, this word says that. That's exactly what it says. That the Apostle Paul, think about everything that he has gone through. All the hardships and the heartaches and the false accusations and the people that continue to come down him, where is he sustained from? He says, I remember and have applied what he knows about Jesus to the Old Testament. Listen, we have far greater than that today of the New Testament than the Apostle Paul or these Christians that were to rely on the Old Testament. We've got a complete canon of Scripture which is the very heart of God for you. i got to ask you, is there time in the Word that you are, that you are allowing other things to not bring the comfort it is suicide to go without God's word. It is nourishment for the soul. Paul says that. <clears throat> verses 5 and 6. And verses 13. Are two prayers that the Apostle Paul prayed for the Roman church the church at Rome. Five and six, Paul says is a prayer, and 13 is a prayer. Now, as we move later into verse six, chapter 16, we will see that there is a man by the name of Tertius that is scribing or writing this letter for Paul. Did I say that right, Marcia? I don't know if I got that. I don't know if I got it right. Oh, oh, okay. Of course. Look here. <laughs> Here's what's interesting. What I don't know 
is did Paul say, now, scribe, get this down. Or if, in the midst of Paul writing this letter, the scribe just recorded Paul's prayer. Either way, however it plays out, what we see is this was a prayer that the Apostle Paul, if you ever wonder, well, what does Paul's prayers look like? This is a beautiful insight and picture into his prayers of what he would understand that God would grant or give to the church at Rome. What I'd like to do is pause this morning and pray for our church this very same prayer. I see that. We'll read the prayer. If you'll bear with me, I'm going to do this in 5 and 6 and then in 13. I believe that if the Apostle Paul believes that it's right for the church at Rome, then it's right for all churches, and we'll pause and pray. Paul says in verse 5, as he breaks out in prayer, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, in that prayer, what Paul is asking to rise to the top in the middle of a church is God and his glory. There is nothing greater than a church, and we've sung about it already this morning, is those, those songs were laced beautifully in with this particular passage. When a congregation comes together and disputes, disagreements, having an issue with somebody in the church gets put down. And God and all of his glory get to be praised and exalted and sung about so that no one in here is distracted at all with their eyes and all attention on God receiving the glory. Will you pray with me? God, may you grant to cross fellowship what is necessary and needed in the middle of disputes that Jesus and all of his glory and exaltation and the sacrificial work that he did on the cross, God would rise to the top even now in among the hearts and lives of people who you're bringing to mind that have a problem with someone else. Lord, we pray that you would grant endurance and comfort that could be seen. God, that would rise to the top by the power of your spirit, Lord, we pray that there would, even in our own minds of being right about something, would be put down, would be melted away by the cross, and that what would rise to the top would be nothing but to your honor and glory. We give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. So, as Paul continues to move on, you can see uh, in verse 7 
Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. That's exact same language that he uses in 14.1. So this is, these are bookends. 14.1 opened as for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. Verse 7 in chapter 15 says, therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. <clears throat> Paul again lays Jesus at the front and center for how we are to welcome one another. Let me explain something to you. This church is a collection of Christians that have come from different backgrounds and different beliefs, different thinkings, and different understandings. Let me give you an example. My wife is a converted Catholic. What she came out of was a struggle in the church system once she became a believer of not reciting the Lord's Prayer at every service. That was hard. She also, we attended a church that did not necessarily take communion as often as you do it, uh, was, the, uh, was the way that that particular church received communion. Cross Fellowship receives communion each week, but that was a struggle for her. How tragic that would have been in the heart and life of the church if when you have a converted Christian who now is following Jesus, who comes into the congregation and doesn't know everything of the way it is. They're not all knowing. They've not gone to Bible school. They're just brand new converted. They come into the church and they do not feel welcome because you have excluded them simply because of their lack of understanding on particular areas. May that never be in the heart and life of Cross Fellowship. Now, I will tell you, church, I think, honestly, I think we do a good job. I do not say this, uh, but I think that in a general sense, Cross Fellowship does a wonderful job of welcoming and receiving and, and making uh, people that come into the church feel very welcome. But what it is saying is, specifically in this context, in relationships with one another, I don't care if you've come through fusion. I don't care if you've come where you've come from. If you and another believer do not make one another feel welcome, then you are doing exactly the opposite of what Christ has done for you. Not one person has come into the kingdom because of a way that you think. So it's wrong to come to God as if, yeah, God is pleased to have me because I, I'm in part of the kingdom because of I know all about this or I know all about that. You can, there is a way that you can exclude people from feeling apart or welcome. And what was going on here with the Jew and Gentile tension is that they, they were feeling excluded or as if they were a second-rate Christian. There are no second-rate Christians. The Apostle Paul says, Therefore, 
as he closes this end, as he has brought Jesus down to bear weight on this, and that the strong is to bear with or come alongside the failings of the weak, Paul then says, now as I have explained to you that both belong to Christ, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. We welcome one another not because of what we see in each other. We welcome one another not because of how good somebody is or we don't welcome each other based on that they're, they've got half the Bible memorized. We welcome one another because of God's glory and God's glory alone. For I tell you um, in verse 8 <clears throat> that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. What Paul does here is he explains to the Gentiles. You know, sometimes, sometimes you have to explain to people that are in disputes that really neither one of you are right. And what Paul does is he explains to uh, the Gentiles and the circumcision, the Jewish uh, Christians, that really Gentiles, God, he came as a servant through the Jews. That would have had to understand that in the big scope and the landscape of the world, it was God giving priority to the Jewish nation over the Gentiles. That is a, a little bit of a pride stripper when you think about it, that that was God's people, God's chosen people. That was the people that God chose to do more work in on any other people on the face of the planet. And Paul brings that to bear here on this particular disputes when Christians disagree. There's a reminder here that Paul says, look, Christ came as a servant to the circumcision. That also helped the circumcision to understood, understand that it wasn't anything that they could do to make people right in the kingdom. They themselves also needed the servant to come to demonstrate the truth of God. They failed. So there's a beautiful picture that Paul is beginning to pull people off of their high horse, if you will, and help them to understand uh, both Jews and Gentiles Look, God chose to work through the Jewish people first. <clears throat> and then to the Jews, that they would understand that God has always intended for the Gentiles to receive mercy through what God was going to do through you. So the, the Jews then at this point would understand, don't... Um, despise or look down on or be judgmental. The Jews would have been very judgmental about what the Gentiles were doing. They needed to recognize that they were also belonged to Christ Jesus. And that is what is, that's what Paul is going on here in verse 9. He says, and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. So I think that it is important to recognize that when we have disputes in the church, both of the Jews and the Gentiles belong to Jesus. And so therefore, 
it's right to have an understanding that when we have disputes in the church, we need to be very careful that we are not hurting a servant of God. That we are not trying to run over and bull over and push all of our authority onto the other others and run over them, recognizing that they also have been brought together by Christ Jesus. This is backed up by four Old Testament passages. Um, Paul says, as it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again, it is said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. These are, this is an understanding that they belong. First you have, in the first one, I will, sing, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing. So now you have God demonstrating his victorious power over the Gentiles, and the Gentiles are now submitting to his lordship. Rejoice, O Gentiles, now they belong with, and then again, he says in verse 11, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, for, and for all the people um, extol him, lift him up. This is both Jews and Gentiles. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse, that's a reference to Christ, will come even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him will the Gentiles hope. So what we have to see and understand here is that God in his sovereign plan, all throughout the Old Testament history of the Jews, always intended for the Gentiles to be included in his plan. So this is what's important. From God's perspective, what, what brings him glory? What brings him wonderful praise is when he sees all of his people that he has redeemed freely able to worship and praise him and him alone. And it comes from the recognition that this was always in the plan of salvation for God. We are to give God the glory and let people worship Christ freely both Jews and Gentiles in this particular context, but I would say then moving into a Gentile context, we need to make sure that we are never putting any stumbling block in front of anybody to worship Christ freely. And we are to not um, uh, push away others and the opportunity to come and worship Christ because in the plan of salvation, whom... God has chosen to bring out of darkness and move into the glorious light, bring through the blood of his son Jesus. Then this has always been in the plan and the heart and mind of God that they freely have the opportunity to worship and serve him completely. Paul then closes with another prayer. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Well, let's take a minute and we'll pray again for this prayer for our church. God, you are the God of hope. Hope is only found in you. Hope 
God comes from you with all joy and peace in believing. Lord, we pray for Cross Fellowship that you would strengthen our faith. We thank you for the opportunity that we have to come together as a Gentile church to freely praise and worship you. Lord, we pray that we would be a church that demonstrates a heart of welcoming one another simply because they belong to you, simply for your glory, and simply because this is your vision that you have always intended for all of your children to be able to freely come, be welcome to worship you. Lord, we recognize that we cannot muster this up ourselves. We cannot do this, but we pray for the power of your Holy Spirit to rest over Cross Fellowship, to settle over us, Lord. Guard and shape our hearts. Lord, that we may be a people that completely abound in the hope of your glory. We pray this also in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen.